Peter said, If then God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift that he gave us, the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? And when they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you are here, having kept your promise. We ask this morning that my words would be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. One of the very coolest things about the Bible, in addition to it, you know, being the story of God's redemptive purpose in the world, leading to and culminating in the finished work of Jesus Christ for sinners, in addition to that, one of the very coolest things about the Bible is the way its themes recur and circle back and come to fruition in stories again and again throughout the course of families and nations and centuries. It's, it's almost, as I like to joke, that there's some higher power controlling all of history. <clears throat> of course, there is absolutely a higher power controlling history. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who separated the day from the night and waters from the dry land, even just in that name that he calls himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can see that everything in the world comes under the authority of his hand. And so it makes all the sense in the world that the same themes would come up again and again. The same God is in charge. And so today we're going to be using one of those cool thematic Recurrences to help us interpret a biblical text. We're going to use Samson, the Old Testament judge, to help us understand Peter's vision of unclean foods made clean and the availability of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ to the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike. Now, you know Samson, a man of unique strength. He was one of a series of judges appointed over Israel during the period in which that nation had no king. And the judges were raised up to deliver the people from an oppressive force. And during Samson's time, the people of Israel were being oppressed by their longtime enemy, the Philistines. But despite the power of the Philistines, Samson led Israel to many military victories, often single-handedly. Samson was, as they say, a beast. Uh, he tears a lion apart with his bare hands. He kills 30 men of Ashkelon by himself. And, he even, and even that pales in comparison to his killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And where does Samson's astounding strength come from? Well, from his hair. Now, Samson was a Nazarite. And Nazarites took a vow to never cut their hair. And later in his life, a story you probably know, the Philistines send the temptress Delilah to seduce Samson. And he admits that it is his hair, which he has never cut in his life, that gives him his strength. 
So the evil Delilah, of course, cuts Samson's hair while he sleeps, enabling the Philistines to come, capture him, poke out his eyes, and chain him up in their temple, forcing him to perform for their entertainment, revealing his shame to the 3,000 men and women who have gathered there for the occasion. But that's not quite how Samson's story ends. Here's Judges chapter 16, beginning in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the middle two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Notice that Samson performs this amazing feat of strength with no hair. Right? Now here's why I wanted to tell you the story of Samson. It was never the hair. He kills more Philistines, shaved, blinded, and chained up like a circus animal than he did in his entire life with his supposedly powerful hair. And it's not just that it wasn't his hair at the end that the, that the Lord somehow obliged to take up the slack in the absence of the hair. It was never the hair. In fact, if you read the story of Samson, it includes a repeated sentence. One that comes up just before he performs each mighty feat of strength. Before he tears the lion apart with his hands. Before he kills the 30 men of Ashkelon. And before he donkey jawbones a thousand men to death. The exact same phrase is used. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Judges 14.6 14, 19, and 15, 14. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. You see, it was never the hair. It was always God's intervention right from the very beginning. And that is our principle. That it was not the thing that everyone assumed it was. It was actually a work of God. And now... With that story as our backdrop, as our sort of interpretive principle, let's turn our attention to Acts chapter 11. In this text, Peter, we just heard, has a vision. There has been, uh, for some context, there has been some consternation in the church about non-Jews becoming Christians without becoming Jews first. It seemed to the Jews that the Messiah had been sent to them God's chosen people, and it was hard to wrap their minds around a broader message of salvation that might be for everyone. And so when they criticize Peter for going to eat with uncircumcised people, that is non-Jews, Peter here in our reading explains his rationale. And here's what he says. This is Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, 
And in a trance, I saw a vision. Now, remember, as he's talking, he's explaining himself to this group of suspicious people. There was something like a large sheet, he says, coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners. And it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. And the spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. So what's happening here? Peter has this vision of these ceremonially unclean animals, things that Jews would not have been allowed to eat. And he hears a voice from heaven telling him that now God has called these things clean. And so he's not to make a distinction between Jews and non-Jews, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, between them and us. The good news is for Everyone. And as we interpret this story, let's remember for a moment the point of the Jewish food laws, the kosher laws. Why was it that this was important at all? They were intended to keep the people ceremonially clean so that they could approach a holy God. Now, remember, of course, that even if they kept these kosher laws perfectly, there was only a certain amount of closeness that they could ever achieve. They couldn't go into the part of the tabernacle or temple where only the priests could go, even if they were ceremonially pure. And they they certainly couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, that most sacred place, where only the high priest could only go once a year. But these food laws were sort of the first step in keeping pure, being set apart for God. And so the people's problem with Peter is that he is apparently making himself unclean by eating these foods, right? He's not setting himself apart for God like he's supposed to be doing. It's seeming like he's setting himself (coughs) apart from God. But the people are missing something, something that you and I can see from our perspective here in the future And the thing that they're missing is that one of the things that we can't afford to miss. It is the absolute center, in fact, of the good news of the gospel. We have to remember that this story takes place in the book of Acts. We are in the book of Acts now. And that might seem obvious to us, but it means that we are now on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus has lived, has died has been resurrected, and has ascended to the Father. In a sense, that's what these people are missing. They're missing everything. They're missing the fact that Jesus has done his work and has changed everything forever. And here's where we can remember the principle that we learned from Samson. They thought it was one thing, but it was actually God's intervention all along. 
Even Samson thought it was his hair, but it wasn't. It was Almighty God. And here, the people thought that it was their dietary habits, avoiding eating these unclean animals, that was allowing them to be close to God. And for sure, it was God himself who set these dietary restrictions in place. But remember that even then, there was a limit to how close these people could get. This was never supposed to be the final answer, the permanent way to get close to a holy God. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. I'm going to read you a lengthy section of Hebrews now. It's lengthy, but worth it. How's that for the understatement of the year? I'm going to read you from the Bible now, but don't worry, it's worth it. Uh, Here's Hebrews chapter 10. This is verses 1 through 14. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified, set apart, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It was never really about the food. It was about a sacrifice to God. Just like Samson's strength, what is really going on here is God's intervention in your life. And now, in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, God has intervened again with a sacrifice that cements our closeness to God once and for all, forever. Now, when the Lord declares all foods clean, 
he's not doing it to say, hey, do whatever you want. Jew, Gentile, you're all clean in my book. That's not the gospel. He declares all foods clean because closeness to him, cleanliness, being set apart for him, is not accomplished by eating or not eating. It is accomplished by the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's the good news. So it's not, you're all clean in my book. It's, you're all clean in Christ. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. There is no more holy of holies. We are, by the ministrations of the Holy Spirit, in the direct presence of God all the time. Remember last week and that eternal heavenly worship service that we talked about from Romans 7? Why was it that all the worshipers looked the same? Why are they gathered around the Lamb's throne no matter what corner of the earth they are originally from? Is it because they've been careful about the foods they ate? No. They have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. It was never about the food. It was always about Jesus. When Peter is done telling his story to this suspicious group of people, remember the ones who started out angry with him for eating these unclean foods with these unclean people. When Peter's done talking, we read that the people were silenced. But they don't stay silent for long, do they? And when they speak, they show us what this is really all about. Acts 11, verse 18. They praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Here's your proof that this has been about Jesus all along. It is about repentance. That leads to life. In a minute, we're going to rehearse this same drama right here in this room. We all came in here this morning seeking to find our righteousness somewhere. And because we are sinners to the core, we try to find it anywhere but Jesus. Now, for most of us, it's probably not to be found in our lustrous Samson hair or in what we eat or don't eat. Although I do know some people for whom their put-togetherness or their diet bordered on idolatry. We are, though, tempted to find our righteousness in anything. Our accomplishments, our standing in the community, our family name, our whatever. You know where you seek your righteousness. We're just about to say the Nicene Creed. As you say it, reaffirm your faith or come to faith for the first time in the only thing that can actually make you righteous. The God who made you, who has given you whatever you have and who has sent Jesus to save you. And then a minute after that, we're going to confess our sins. Join us, confess, 
repent. Confess to the propensity to hang your hat on anything other than Jesus Christ. Ask God to forgive you. He will. Then come join us as we feast at the table he has set for us. For sinners who repent. In Jesus. And because of his finished work. Repentance always leads to life. An eternal life. You and God. Reconciled in Christ. Forever. Amen.